Welcome. Together, we're going to explore our personal finances and figure out how to improve them. Whether you're just getting started in life on your finances, or you may already have a home and a car payment, and you're struggling to get credit cards under control, or you're getting a later start in life on saving for retirement, ReducedDebtIncreasedWealth.com is a podcast to educate those to improve personal finances whether it's eliminating debt or making smart investments. Hello, Mr. Chuck here. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the debt-to-income ratio. What is it? How do you compute the ratio? Who uses it? And what's it good for? But before I get started and talking about that, I want to do a follow-up on what I talked about last episode about my medical provider and setting up a payment plan. Well, it was a good thing I did that and didn't deplete my emergency fund. When, and the main reason I did it is because whenever you can get an interest-free loan and pay it off over time, you can then extend the use of your emergency fund and, of course, it's free money. You can put off paying it, and it, it, it turns out to be a good thing. But in this month, I have a lot of insurance due. I have homeowner's insurance due for the year. I got motorcycle insurance due for the year. And I got two car policies due this month for six months. So I call it, I'm insurance poor this month, even though I have the money saved up. It, I'm still insurance poor. If I were to use my emergency fund to pay off my medical provider, then I would come up a little bit short when I, after I pay off all that insurance I'm going to owe this month. So it was just a note that by not paying all that all off at once, I have extra money in my emergency fund to come up with this shortage I'm going to come up with this month to pay my insurance obligations that I can't do this month. So, income debt to income ratio. Let's get started on that. What is it and what does that mean? How do you compute the ratio? Why it's good to know and who uses the ratio is the topic I'm going to be speaking about. So, with that said, we're going to get right into it. I have a couple articles. It's in my show notes. If you go to my uh, website reducedebtincreasedwealth.com you can see my show notes which I have links and some of the directories also have them the links in there too what is the debt to income ratio why is it important the debt to income ratio is all your monthly debt payments divided by your gross monthly income This number is one way lenders measure your ability to manage the monthly payments to repay the money you plan to borrow. So when you go out and apply for a loan, you probably notice they ask you how much you make. What's your monthly income? When when you're getting asked that, when you're applying for a loan, you need to tell them your gross income, which is before taxes 
and any other deductions such as health insurance or other deductions you may have coming out of your paycheck. It's that gross number. And that's important. And then they go to the credit bureau and find out what your outstanding debt is. That's why they have a account with credit bureaus. And they might ask you how much other debt you have, but they're going to check that. And they divide your total monthly debt by your gross income and come up with a percentage. That percentage is what they use to determine whether or not you can afford this loan or not. As long, along with your credit score, and your credit score also is looking at your on-time payments, how long you've had debt, what percent of the debt you, you owe on. And if all those numbers look good, they approve you for your loan, you get your new car, and off you go. So that's important. Creditors use that, or whenever you're applying for a loan or maybe refinancing your mortgage or applying to get a mortgage to buy your first home, that's the number they're going to be looking at. So we're going to talk about what debt is included. Well, it's simple. I mean, it's, it's simple to me. It's all debt, which I'm going to give you a list. Your mortgage on a home, your second mortgage on a home or any line of credits, car loan, car loans, if you got more than one, boat loans, student loans, student, you know, from college loans, your student loans, any personal loans. And if you have payday loans where it's the end of the month and it's not paid off, you should include that number also. And you divide your gross income into that number. It's again, it's your, you know, for a month, it's the total amount you make before deductions, before taxes and any other deductions. And you come up with a percentage. If you're going out to apply for to buy your first home, to get your first mortgage, let's say, and you're renting an apartment, and your apartment rent is, say, just say 50% of your income. The good news is when you apply for that first mortgage, they're not including the rent for the apartment in this calculation. So you're going to look good. You're going to look a whole lot better than if they included your rent. So if you're renting in any way, shape, or form, that is not included. Also, any utility bills you may pay or regular monthly bills you pay are not included because not considered debt. But if you're making late payments on them or hadn't paid them, that's going to be reflected on your credit score. And a bad credit score is going to prevent you from getting that mortgage. So you need two things. You need a good debt-to-income ratio, and you need a good credit score. Assume you have a good credit score. You know, above average, you're doing good. You pay all your bills on time. You don't have a whole lot of credit card debt. And what you do have, maybe you have one card you pay off every month. 
So, you, you know, you figure you're doing pretty good. So just giving you an example, I figured out what my debt-to-income ratio was. The only thing in my mind that I owe is my first mortgage. I have all my other debt paid off. So when I take that monthly payment by my gross payment, uh, gross income for the month, and I did this for June of 2020, I have 10%. That is really good. That's low. What that means is my debt is only 10% of my monthly income. I got 90% of my income to pay everything else. If I would go out to buy a new car and want a loan on it, you know, real quick and easy because I got a real good debt ratio. Then I thought, well, I do use a credit card that I charge two to $300 a month on to pay stuff that I could actually be paying you know, off and not putting through a credit card. And I pay that credit card like on the second of every month. Through that number in there, for, for the month of June is the month I used, I bought a new iPhone and I had some other expenses. So I had a big balance that I paid off. Debt to income ratio for the month of June, including my unpaid balance on the credit card as of the end of June, I would have like a 46%, which means I only had 40%, 46% of my monthly income in June was going to debt. That's not so good. It's not bad, but it's not good. But then I just thought, I'm just figured out based on my average, which is like two to $300, and I fall around 16%, which is still fairly good to give you an idea. Now, we're going to go over what's good and what's bad here in a second. But the number that you need to know if you're looking to buy a home, may even refinance, is the percentage that your mortgage companies are looking for is anything below 43%. And the farther below, farther below it, the better off you're going to be. If you're right at 43%, you might find somebody, but you might have to shop around. You may not get the lowest rate. You may not get the best loan out there. What they're really wanting, and we talked about this in budgeting, how much should you be budgeting uh, your monthly income for housing? It was the housing transportation episode. And I said anywhere from 25% to 38% where your mortgage is around 30% of it, could be as high as 30%, plus your real estate taxes, plus your homeowner's insurance, plus some maintenance. You know, 38 on the high. And that 36, 38, that's the number they're looking for. So if you've been listening to my podcast and you listen to that and you, you got to try to get your budget percentages closer to what I talked about, and if you've done that, you're doing good on if you're looking to refinance or to buy your first home, you'd be in pretty good shape. So this is from an article that information is from the consumerfinance.gov. What is debt to income ratio and why is the 43% income ratio important? And that's the article and that's linked to my show notes. And my second article I have is you know, it's debt-to-income ratio. It's from westopedia.com. 
and that we're going to go through that now. It's pretty much, you know, I've covered a lot of this. So we're going to go down here to the bottom of the page. Oh, how to compute it is to total a monthly debt payments divided by your gross monthly income. Sum up your debt card and credit cards, loans, and mortgage. I mean, they go in and tell you a little more detail. But I told you. A general guideline, 43% is the highest debt-to-income ratio a borrower can have and still get qualified for a mortgage. Ideally, the lender prefers a debt-to-income ratio lower than 36%, with no more than 28% of that debt going towards servicing a mortgage or rent payment. So they might take your rent payment in consideration, but some lenders may, some lenders may not, but if they, I don't think they should. It's not debt. Monthly rent is not debt. You know, if you're paying $1,500 a month for rent, and you're applying for a home, and the mortgage payment's going to be $1,200 with taxes and insurance, I don't think you'll have any trouble, no matter what your percentage, because it's going to be lower than what you're already paying. Just a note. They also have a, what the credit bureau uses, is a credit utilization ratio. It's the percentage of the borrower's total available credit that's currently being utilized. That's what the credit bureaus are using because they don't know what your gross monthly income would be. So they're looking at how many credit cards you have, what's the maximum total limit of credit you have allowed to you and how much of that credit are you using the more of the credit you're using the lower your credit score is going to be if you're using under 10 percent of the what your credit limit is you're going to be looking pretty good so for an example let's say you have a credit card and you have a ten thousand dollar limit you can charge up to ten thousand dollars if you only owe $1,000 or less on that credit card, that's less than 10% or less, you're going to look good. You can go a little over that, but the lower you can keep that number, the better off you're going to be. And I always thought, well, it's kind of stupid. And they give you this credit, and then they penalize you for using it. That's life. And I, I've never understood the real reason for that. And the only reason is they're scared that you will default on their, on their loan. Limitations. Debt-to-income ratio limitation. Although important, the debt-to-income ratio is only one financial ratio a metric used in making a credit decision. Well, that's a good thing. Your credit history also counts. Credit score also counts, which we talked about. And the credit score is based on how much credit you're actually using. Then they give an example here. And then, depending on your situation, let's say you have a mortgage, a car loan, and a credit card. A mortgage of $1,000, a car loan of $500, and credit cards of $500. And you have gross income monthly of $6,000. Well, your debt-to-income ratio is going to be 33%. That's good. But how do you lower that down? You want a lower percentage. Well, you can increase your income, will lower that percentage, 
or you can decrease your debt. You could pay off those credit cards, $500. And if you do that, you'll have a 25%, which is much better than 33. 33 ain't bad, but 25 is much better. If you increase your income some and pay off your car loan and your credit card, you're going to have under 20%. So you're going to be in a lot better shape. Real world's example of ratios and what's good and what's not good. 35% or less is generally viewed as available and your debt is manageable. You likely have money remaining after paying your monthly bills. 36 to 49% means your debt to income ratio is adequate, but you have room for improvement. Lenders might ask for other eligibility requirements. So you're borderline, 36 to 49%. You're borderline. And at 50% or higher means you have limited money to save or spend. As a result, you won't have the money to handle unforeseen event and will have limited borrowing options. In other words, you're hurting. You got way too much debt. Now that could have been because you got laid off. Or maybe your spouse quit working. Yeah, that's what you got. If you're married and you have a spouse and both of you are working and you're, say, you don't have any children, but you're planning to have children in the future, you got to keep your debt under control because if one of the spouses quits working to stay home and take care of the children, then your debt to income ratio is going to be way out of whack. And you're going to be having a hard time to pay your bills and get by. And you're going to have, you know, it's going to be hard to manage things. So just keep that in mind. So the reason you want to pay off your credit card debt? Well, here it are right here. Now, we know that your lenders use this. What's it good for? It's good for you to know what percent of your income is already spent every month. That's a good thing to know. Also, if you figure this on a monthly basis and it's going down, you know you're making progress on paying off your debt. That's a good thing to know. Putting money into your emergency fund is not going to help this ratio. But it's going to help you over time in case an emergency comes up or if you get laid off or something happens, if your income is reduced for some reason or if an unexpected expense comes along, then you'd be able to handle it with the emergency fund and not have to use credit. Remember, the number one step on to reducing your debt is you got to quit creating new debt this ratio is going to help you see if you're making progress on maintaining your debt at the same level or reducing your debt if you're like me your income goes up and down every month every week i get paid every week but it could be different every week it's generally the same every month within a few hundred dollars, but it goes up and down. It's not exactly the same. So by using this debt ratio, debt to income ratio, 
I can see. While my income went down a little bit, my debt stayed the same, my ratio got a little bit worse. Then the next month, my income went up. My debt went down. My ratio got a whole lot better. So it's a tool that you can use along with the borrowers, your creditors use, to determine your ability to make payments. So you know your debt-to-income ratio. You know it's good. You know your credit rating is good. So you got that in your back pocket. So when you go to get a mortgage, you can get the best rate possible, the best terms possible, and over the life of that mortgage, save hundreds if not thousands of dollars in interest and other fees that a lender may require you to pay. You need to have at least 10% down, 15% down before getting that mortgage, or you're going to be stuck paying, I think it's 20%, you pay uh, principal mortgage insurance, which is required by the lender. So if you can have more, a larger down payment, it's going to do two things. It's going to do away with the principal mortgage insurance payment that will not be part of that. It will reduce your monthly payment overall for the life of the loan. But something else you should consider before buying that first home or if you want to buy up, whichever the case would be, is the order of which you purchase your assets. The number one item or the biggest ticket item is a home. The second biggest ticket item is a automobile. You want to buy the home first before buying an automobile because if you buy an expensive automobile and you get a big loan with it, your debt-to-income ratio is going to be poor. You might, even though you have the income, you might be consider a higher risk for a mortgage. So buy the home first. Once you get in the home a few months and you're comfortable, then buy that car you may want. It's, it's a timing thing. It looks better to the creditor if you do it the correct way. And once you have a home and you build equity in the home over a couple years, buying that car will become easier, not harder. That's, you know, just a note, a little bit of wisdom there that you should know about. I think it's common sense, but not everybody thinks the same way I do. So it's better off buy the home first, then buy your automobile second. If you need an automobile before you buy the home, try to buy a good used car, keep the price down, get by with that. You don't have to have your dream car right out of college or when you start your first job. That's the end of another episode. I hope you found it useful. And if you'd like to share this episode with your friends, please do so. I'm open for any suggestions for improvement or for information that you would like to talk about in future episodes. You can go to my Facebook page and leave me a message. I'm more than glad to comply. 
To find my Facebook page, go to ReducedDebtIncreasedWealth.com and click on the Facebook icon to go to my Facebook website.